Welcome to the Arts Hubbub, a monthly look inside Australian arts and artists. I'm your host, George Dunford. This month, we look at giving in all its forms. We usually think of philanthropy as large amounts of money, often from a corporation or an individual. But for this edition of the Arts Hubbub, we look at some of the other ways people can give to the arts. You could be donating your time, like Anita Clayton, who's been volunteering at Perth Festival since 2012. Well, when I first retired, I volunteered for all sorts of different organisations, trying to find out what, what was really a fit. And some things I've kept up, but other things I dropped. And then I realised that the festival needed volunteers and I can't act and I can't really sing other than in a community choir, but I love theatre and I love being involved in, you know, in some way. Without volunteers, the Australian arts sector would grind to a halt. So this month, we also speak with Volunteering Australia's interim CEO, Mark Pearce, who tells us more about why people volunteer and how arts organisations can better assist their volunteer workforce. For The Nudge, we look at giving and receiving, how you might create relationships where people can support your art. Fiona Menzies, CEO of Creative Partnerships Australia, highlights some trends in Australian philanthropy, including debunking a few myths about who doesn't give. Possible founder Alan Crabb shares his experience of crowdfunding and how giving a little can add up to a lot. And former chair of the Sydney Meyer Fund, Carillo Gantner, talks about where philanthropic organisations are most interested in donating. So that whole area was absolutely deep in feathers. But people didn't want to go home. You know, the kids were rolling in the feathers. People were staying and, and talking to, to the people who were around them. And it was just a lovely atmosphere. And for months afterwards, you'd walk back towards the train station and, and between the, the rails on the, the bridge, the Horseshoe Bridge, you'd find feathers stuck in the cobwebs, you know. <laughs> Little reminders all over the place. <laughs> and people apparently got the train down to Mandurah um, after the performance and, you know, feathers went all the way to all the places the train went to. So there were feathers travelling in all directions. <laughs> That's Anita Clayton reflecting on her experience of volunteering at the Perth Festival for the first time in 2012. That year, the festival opened with the French aerial act Place des Anges, whose performers scattered more than two tonnes of feathers across the Perth CBD. Well, that was great fun. I mean, we had people standing around in the areas where the high wire angels were going to come down and land so that they didn't land on the audience. So we had to keep spaces clear around them. Anita is one of six million Australians who volunteer their time every year. Well, I mean, I'm all, I've always been involved in all sorts of things. And I've even before I retired, I volunteered for other things. Um, during the Grim Reaper campaign, I used to go to the media centre after work and do the hotline. <laughs> I mean, with a nursing background, that sort of fitted. So, um, yes, I've always volunteered in some capacity, but it wasn't until retirement that I really had time to give more time to the things that interest me. And I, I can't act and I can't really sing other than in a community choir, but I love theatre and I love being involved in, you know, in some way. She especially enjoys volunteering at Perth Festival. That suits me really well because it, it only covers a couple of months of the year. And then I can do other things. I like a bit of variety. But by volunteering with them, they've shared their volunteer list. So I now get to do some assistance with front of house in the university theatres. And they also 
shared their list with the art gallery because I did some festival sessions at the art gallery. So now I'm on a volunteer list at the art gallery as well. (laughs) So I've got lots of options there. I can fit in what suits me. So I think that uh, people's motivation around volunteering comes from, well, a vast array of historical circumstances. It comes from their personal attributes, comes from family, it comes from business. But ultimately, when you strip away a lot of those points of origination, it comes from a point of wanting to make a contribution, make a contribution to a cause, to a, an organisation, to the betterment of society, perhaps. Mark Pierce is the interim CEO of Volunteering Australia, the national peak body for volunteering. He's all too aware of the arts sector's reliance on volunteer labour. One in seven Australians contribute their time freely towards arts organisations. You take one in seven people from your workforce out of the workforce and see what happens to it. Um, We define volunteering as time willingly given for the common good without financial gain. Just because it's freely given doesn't mean it's free as such. It has a a cost, a commitment from an organisation's perspective, but gee, the results that come from it are really manifest in terms of that which can be achieved from a highly engaged, highly passionate workforce. Anita is certainly passionate about the arts, but what does she get out of volunteering for Perth Festival? I like the buzz of being a part of it. I tend to be a bit of an organiser, so, you know, if there's a group of us, I often take charge and say, we'll do it this way. <laughs> so it, it's, it satisfies my organisational desires. <laughs> I just like being part of it all. I started last year's festival with taking labels off recycled plastic bottles so that they could be sent to the schools to be turned into lamps or lanterns for the festival. And I do things like stuffing envelopes, but I've also helped with front of house So you don't enjoy the show in the same way, but it's quite fun just to be in there anyway and see it sort of almost from the other side. Mark believes that generally Australians don't do enough to celebrate the service of volunteers. It's part of the fabric of the community. It's a sense of identity. It's a connection to place. Without volunteers, communities tend to stop. Without volunteers, organisations grind to a halt they're not particularly well acknowledged. That's oftentimes at an organisational level because of the fact that the time is freely given. Just because there's no compensation per se doesn't mean that the contribution itself is not an invaluable resource. Uh, There should be greater acknowledgement of volunteers, of their efforts, and in particular, all that volunteers have done to contribute to Australian society. You just have to look over the past six, seven, eight months or so and say, well, We've had bushfires, we're into COVID. Those people who have been at the fighting front of both of those major disasters in Australia have been volunteers. Treating volunteers with the same respect as paid staff is an important first step. So when we think about volunteers and when we define volunteers, we think about them in the context of an unpaid workforce. An organisation's responsibility towards its volunteers is in many ways similar to its responsibilities towards the paid workforce. That's its risk management framework. It sits around its workplace health and safety provisions. It sits about around its adherence to the Fair Work Act, for example. All of those things which are critical pieces of infrastructure, legislative regulatory infrastructure, and even organisational 
procedures and policies that are applied towards the paid workforce should also be applied towards the unpaid workforce, towards the volunteer workforce. Organisations sometimes perceive volunteering as a bit of a one-way relationship, but volunteers have their own reasons for getting involved. We asked Anita what she'd say to encourage other people to volunteer in the arts. It's fun. They don't know what they're missing. They should have a go. (laughs) And I mean, if you're a volunteer, you can always say, this is not what I want to do. It's not as if you're a paid person who has a responsibility to be there. I mean, once once you've agreed to do it, then yes, you have a responsibility to do it to the best of your ability. As well as being a volunteer, Anita is a friend of the festival, and she's continued her support by arranging a bequest for Perth Festival in her will. There are people who donate large amounts of money now, whereas mine's a bequest because I don't know how how long I'm going to live and how long the money will last for, and I still want to be able to buy tickets. (laughs) But what's left when I go, that's fine. They they can do what they like with it. (laughs) But in the meantime, I've got time. Clearly, Anita loves the arts. It's a personal conviction that drives her to be involved because she sees culture as having an important social role. And I mean, I think the arts are important, particularly at the moment. There's so much problems with mental health these days because people worry about what's going on in the world and, you know, where it's all all going in the end. And I guess, I mean, we just got through the Second World War when I was growing up and people looked at things quite differently. They were much more optimistic because everything looked as though it was going to work out (laughs) better than it had been for the years before. (laughs) But I think the arts give you a, a perspective on what's going on and... Even with basic things like relationships, they sometimes, particularly dramatic art and theatre, you look at things from other people's points of view. It shows you how other people live. And I think all those things help, help people with everyday life. Creative Partnerships Australia fosters a culture of private giving. Bringing the arts, donors and businesses together, CPA creates a more ambitious and sustainable cultural sector for the benefit of all Australians. To learn how CPA can assist you or your organisation, subscribe at creativepartnershipsaustralia.org.au. Now for the nudge. Our monthly look at improving your arts practice. This month, we look at ways of asking for support. How can you approach an organisation and what do funders look for when they give? Founder of Playbox Theatre and former chair of the Sydney Meyer Fund, Carillo Gantner, has been on both the giving and receiving sides of philanthropy. People who give money like to be close to the cause. So that, you know, if you're asked to support a very specific bit of programming, whether it's a commissioning of a new writer You want to know the specific writer, what they've done before, what the subject matter they're going to write about. You don't just want to give a grant to the theatre company and they'll decide what to do with it, whether to spend it on the Christmas party or, or, you know, the the next general season or or maybe part of their education program. So if you're looking for a supporter, you need them to have an interest in your art and give them something specific to commit to. Carrillo sees giving as about just working with good people. For me, it means people whose work I like, who I think are in themselves good people. I mean, there's some wonderful artists who are very difficult, nasty people, 
And that's fine, that's just who they are. If you're a, an artistic director of a company, you, you accept their behaviours because you know that their art is outstanding. Um, but as a philanthropist or, or someone giving to, to them, you don't have to. You, you want to be with people you, whose company you like and whose work you admire. On a smaller scale, crowdfunding works through finding your audience, which may start with family and friends. Alan Crabb, co-founder of Possible and Birchall, developed these platforms based on the idea that people really just want to connect with artists. People will re resonate with people that are authentic. And to be authentic, you need to, I suppose, provide that degree of insight so that people can trust and uh, get to know you. Uh, and that creates that engagement. And then I think after that, once they've got to know you, they, they trust you. This idea is the basis of the rewards that crowdfunding offer their backers. Having dinner with a maker has a big appeal for individual backers, but it's also important for philanthropy and corporate giving too. For a crowdfunding campaign, marketing to individuals is crucial, but the most successful campaigns work out ways to communicate well up front. But they also rely on getting interest early. One of the other key successful success factors for crowdfunding is creating early traction for a campaign because crowdfunding is, is very transparent. And, and that's the, sometimes the value, but it's also the curse as well, that if you don't get off to a good start, if you don't get momentum, if you're perceived as not doing particularly well with a campaign, it can actually damage you or damage your brand. One of the ways to ensure a campaign goes smoothly is by carefully considering how you set your target. I think it's all about how you ask. And my advice is always ask for more than you think they'll give because the worst thing that can happen is they'll say, I can't give you that much, but I can give you a bit less. And what you never want to do is ask for something and they, they give it to you so easily you think, oh, maybe I could have asked for more. Fiona Menzies, CEO of Creative Partnerships Australia, has seen a lot of organisations successfully build up relationships with corporations. She echoes the advice that you should get to know your supporter and she thinks there's a lot to be gained from looking more deeply into an organisation. The best way I can describe it is you need to be helping them solve one of their own problems. So it could be as simple as they want to get to a particular demographic and that's a demographic that you already hold so that you can expose them through a partnership to that demographic. Of course, it may not just be cash that an organisation can give, with research indicating that money represents only 10% of corporate giving. Without volunteers like Anita Clayton, the arts wouldn't be able to survive. So many corporations are looking at volunteering and other alternative forms of giving. What everybody wants is to be given cash and then they decide what they do with it. But I do think millennials are much more likely to want to give their time. Any relationship with a corporation needs to be genuine and Fiona encourages arts organisations to think about their own values and have honest conversations with potential partners. I think it is a bit of a trap that not-for-profits in all sectors, not just the arts, fall into is that they're somehow the junior partner in these partnerships. And I think there's no reason why not-for-profits and arts organisations can't actually initiate more suggestions themselves. So don't wait for the business to, to suggest it. You suggest it to the business. And it doesn't mean that the arts should be a silent partner and help a corporation brand wash when they do something that damages both partners. 
For example, the destruction of Aboriginal rock shelters in Western Australia by Rio Tinto would be something that Fiona would raise with a funder. One thing I like to keep in mind always is, and notwithstanding that that Rio Tinto episode was disgraceful, but I also like to think that corporations are made up of individuals and many of those individuals within those companies have very good intentions. Take that as an opportunity to say, can we meet with you and talk to you about the response that we've had to the fact that you're our sponsor? We've got staff who are deeply upset. We've got subscribers or audience members who are deeply upset. And, you know, we want you to know that that this is the feeling of the community. And that kind of conversation, opening up that conversation, is much more likely to help them change their behaviour than sort of writing them off completely. The other aspect of the conversation with a corporate funder is working out who's going to make the decision. While in the past there may have been a corporate affairs area or the decision might have been made by an owner, increasingly Fiona has noticed that it's marketing departments who make the giving decision. And so the marketing people are in charge of the sponsorship spend and they are literally measuring it up and what they think the the return they'll get from it will be against other kinds of marketing spends. So, you know, can we put a whole lot of ads on Google and what will be the result of that? Or can we sponsor this company and what will be the result of that? That's the conversation they're having internally. Once you've got a relationship with a funder, it can be as much about maintaining that relationship and keeping the conversation going, even when you might have mm, not such good news. There was a case recently where we gave money to commission a work. It wasn't done for perfectly legitimate reasons, because not all commissions of music or plays or poetry or anything, not all of them hit gold. Often they don't. But what you're doing with a commission is sort of buying the artist's time. But it was six years ago that the ground was made and they'd failed to report the fact that it hadn't gone anywhere, they hadn't ever paid it out, but they came back asking for more money. So you you tend to say, hang on a sec, hang on a sec, let's, uh, you know, where were you? Uh, That suggests poor governance of the fundraising process. When the relationship's going well, it's easiest to communicate, to invite a funder to a performance or a reading. But these moments will also build up trust with a funder, and when you really need their help, you can call on them as a valued member of your community. You can't call on anyone who you only ever call on in a rainy day. If you don't have those good, solid, ongoing relationships with people, they're not going to help you out when you're in trouble. And so I think the same sort of concept applies, that you've got to maintain those relationships for the duration of the sponsorship. You can't just take the money and then say see ya, you've got to actually keep those relationships up. Increasingly, governments are asking more of private philanthropy, and Carrillo is realistic about the role private giving can play. Well, governments want it to do more. In fact, as they pull out of all sorts of areas of funding, they say, oh, go and ask philanthropy. While philanthropy is growing in Australia, certainly, it can't cope with the the extent of the demands that are put on it, either naturally or because government has withdrawn from a certain area. 
Private giving can't support all of the arts, but it does influence government funding. The Asia-Pacific Triennial and the establishment of the National Institute of Circus Arts were all funded by private philanthropy first, which was then followed up by government funding. An American uh, friend, a guy, a guy uh, Stephen Hines, who's director of the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation, he once described to me that philanthropy is like acupuncture. You know, you can't save the whole body necessarily, but you, by, by putting the needle right in on the point of pain, you can actually influence the whole nervous system. At Arts Hub, we've been supporting Australian art for 20 years. Our team of writers and journalists keep the arts community informed and connected, a vital role in these challenging times. Right now, we need your help to continue being the go-to news source for the arts sector. You can join or give a membership to a friend at support.artshub.com.au. Thanks for listening to the Arts Hub Up. We'll be back next month. We talked about a lot of different ways of giving in this episode, so don't underestimate how much a review would support this podcast. You can contribute your words on Apple Podcasts. Our guests this month were Anita Clayton, Fiona Menzies, Carillo Gantner, Alan Crabb and Mark Pierce. The Arts Hub Up is produced by Michelle Macklem, Sabine Bricks, Richard Watts and George Dunford. Our theme music is Chasing Waterfalls by Tim Scheel. Music in this episode, also by the other stars. And our coverage of COVID-19 is still free outside of the paywall, so you can stay connected during this time at artshub.com.au. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the Kulin Elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. <laughs>